on stewardship by faith. I want to preach uh, a portion of the message that I uh, I took out of. We, we preached on stewarding our families by faith a few weeks ago, and I didn't preach the third point. And I felt like the Lord was stopping me and wanting me to take that uh, on its own journey. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about stewarding trials and tribulations today. When a trial comes into our life, as it's brought into our life by God, we are supposed to manage that as his stewards. He doesn't give it to us, give it, he doesn't put us in a circumstance by accident, okay? There is no, nothing that is a coincidence in the believer's life. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye shall be able to bear it. So everything that comes into my life, we would say is father filtered, filtered. Okay. God allows it to come into my life. And what's the purpose of it? Um, how, how should I manage that trial? How should I go through that difficulty or that circumstance, uh, circumstance? Or how should I make that decision? Sometimes decisions that we have to make seem trying. And really it is in, in some ways a trial of our faith. And uh, so I want us to go to James chapter one. And I want us to read several verses here this morning, and I want us to see if the Lord would help us to be able to to steward trials of our life and to be able to rightly see those from Scripture. James chapter 1, in verse 1, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which were scattered, which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I'd like to pray again one more time this morning. Heavenly Father, I do come to you now just as I am, and I surrender myself, understanding, Lord, that if I begin and even try to preach this message in the flesh, I will not be a help to anybody here, and I certainly will not be pleasing to you. And so I ask that you would please help me to get out of your way. I pray that you would, by your spirit, simply uh, help me not only to get out of your way, but that you would help me to mortify the deeds of my flesh, that I could be filled with the spirit, and that I would be pleasing to you. I want to be your mouthpiece today. I want to be a blessing. I want to be an encouragement to these that have decided to come and to those that could not be here. And so I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory. Again, speak to us through your word. Then I pray, God, that you'd give us the courage and the faith to live your words when we leave here and the wisdom to know how to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people say that life could be likened to a road trip. And along the way, of course, you're going to have potholes and unexpected delays and even some necessary stops along the way. And I guess we could talk about struggles of life and a variety of different memes or different illustrations. And we could talk about difficulties and uh, the trials of our life in a lot of different ways. For instance, uh, you may have heard of something like this. When life gives you lemons, no, learn to juggle. I don't know what you've heard of. Um, when life, Someone said, when life gives you lemons, squirt someone in the eye. <laughs> someone else said, when life gives you, I like this one, when life gives you lemons, throw them back. And say, I didn't order lemons. Um, when life gives you lemons, someone said, make orange juice and make them wonder how you did that. Um, but of course, the one that we all know and uh, we all have learned to know is when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. No matter how you say it, the truth uh, is that it's necessary to smile at those statements. It's easier to smile at those statements than it is to practice them, isn't it? It's much easier to say something quickly than it is to actually take what has been given to us and make something useful. But the basic philosophy of making something useful out of something terrible is very sound. In fact, it's biblical. Throughout the Bible, you'll find people who turn defeat into victory. And instead of being victims, you could say they became victors. And James tells us how to do that. James tells us that we can have the same experience today as New Testament Christians, as believers 
uh, matter uh, as believers matter uh, uh, as believers, we can expect trials not just within ourselves but from outside of ourselves. And through faith in Christ, we can experience victory. And the result of this victory is spiritual maturity. And I want you to keep that in your mind by way of introduction is that's the goal. Okay. The goal is not for me to be the same uh, after a trial as I was before going into the trial. God wants to use that trial and he wants to help us in that trial. I made the statement earlier, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation that you go through will also make a way of escape. It's supposed to be that way. God is in control of that trial. So by the careful hand of God, our lives are going to experience difficulty. And those trials are meant to better us and prepare us for greater use for the Savior. So not only... Is it to mature us, but in that maturation process, prepare us for something greater. So if you're going to be a steward and you're going to steward trials for the glory of God, I believe there are four essentials that we need to talk about this morning that we must manage. Now think about this. It doesn't matter what trial you have gone through or what you may currently be going through, but no matter what the trial or as the Bible would describe it, even as a temptation to doubt God, no matter what the trial no matter what the temptation, all four of these elements that I'm going to explain today are crucial if I'm to steward that trial for the glory of God so that I could be better used of God, that I would be a better Christian after I go through it. So let's talk about several things. First of all, if we're going to steward trials properly by faith, we've got to manage, number one, our attitude. Our attitude. Look at verse two of our text in James chapter one. The Bible says, my brethren, count it all joy. Isn't that amazing? Count it all joy. And I want you to write this. I think you may have it in your notes, actually. Outlook determines outcome. Do you have that? If you don't, you need to write it down. Outlook determines outcome and attitude determines action. The very first thing that James addresses with these Christians who are, the Bible says, scattered abroad is the fact that they need to count it all joy. Now, there's several things involved in this statement. First of all, if we're going to manage our attitude, letter A, we need to manage our, manage our expectations. Our expectations. Now, let's be, let's be real here with the Word of God. God tells us to expect trials. All right? Now, most of us don't. Most of us, when we're dating, dating, our expectations are we're never going to have any problems. Then we get married. And we're never going to have any problems. Then we're going to have kids. And we're never going to have any problems. And what's that? An unrealistic expectation. We've got to manage our expectations. God tells us to expect trials. It is not, look, notice the Bible does not say if you fall into various trials. It says when they are coming. I need to expect that life is going to bring difficulties. The believer who expects his Christian life to be easy is in for a shock. In fact, it could be a great disappointment, can it not? Well, I don't, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this, and I don't know why this has to happen. And next thing you know, you're the only one at the pity party. Why? Because your expectation is wrong. Your expectation was one thing when God deliberately said, listen, you're going to have problems. If you are living in life, there's going to be problems. It doesn't, by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're saved or unsaved. But as a Christian, specifically, God says you need to count it all joy. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. In Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Now watch, because we are God's scattered people and not God's sheltered people, we're going to experience trials. That's the whole point. Now, that means that we cannot always expect everything to go our way. Now, isn't it interesting that when you have a child and they grow from, from birth all the way through when they leave and probably sometimes even in their adult life, all they want is their way. Have you ever seen this go down? You've gone into a grocery store and you see a kid who wants something. The mom says no, and the kid doesn't get his or her way. And the next thing you know, it's all about that way, right? Because they have imposed a will. My expectation is not, to, is not to accept no. My expectation is that no matter what I do, you are going to say yes. Right? Now, that is a problem. And the problem is, it's ours. We many times have that same expectation. 
in our life that everything's going to go our way. Notice the word fall. The Bible says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall. That word doesn't suggest an accident. It's not like, oops, I struggled into a, <laughs> I struggled into a trial or I stumbled into a trial. It actually means I'm going to encounter them. It means that I'm going to come across. They're going to be, it's going to be normal. Like the, like the dotted line in the road. It's normal. They're coming. I'm going to come across them. Notice the word diverse though. The word diverse. It means various or very colored. Um, the trials of life are not at all alike. They're going to be different in every single way. They're like, kind of like a multicolored yarn that the weaver uses to make a beautiful rug. And God says, I want to take these strands of trials. And I want to weave them in such a way that it's going to be beautiful when it's all said and done. Several years ago, when I was when I was in Israel, I think it was the second time we went to a Nazareth village, and uh, they have this setup to be uh, like uh, Jerusalem or Nazareth would Nazareth would be when Jesus was growing up. And so we went through various uh, the olive yard and the olive press, and we went through uh, a synagogue, what it would have looked like, and and uh, the wine press and all these things. And we came across this one lady that was kind of in a, in a cutout uh, in this, this uh, boulder, in this rock. And she had all of these different uh, dyes out. And then she had all of these different yarns that she was taking. And she was stripping these pieces of yarn and making them different colors. And then she actually had a really old, old, old uh, weaver. And she had these lines that she stretched across all of these lines. And, 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 and she, she showed us the whole process and how awful, awful it looked on one side. But then she took that same rug and flipped it around and we were all like, wow, that's amazing. The process was awful. It was messy. In fact, it was very unattractive until you turn it over and it became something very different. And God says that here, I want you to understand that that's what I have for your life. You can expect that these difficulties, these difficulties and trials, though they're going to not look the same, and though some of them are going to seem out of place, I promise you, as the faithful weaver that I am, I'm going to put them right in their place, and they're meant to be there. You can expect them. I need to manage my expectations. Secondly, I need to be careful to maintain, we need to be careful to maintain our evaluations. Now, just as the word fall and the word count is very important, fall and diverse is very important in verse two, the word count is drastically more important. The word count means it's a financial term and it means to evaluate. Now think about that. My brethren, evaluate, evaluate, all right? Evaluate. Paul used this word countless times in his letter to to the Philippians. And what he got finally down to in Philippians chapter 3 was that he evaluated his life after he became a Christian. And he decided that what he found, what he thought was goals of his life, what he thought was the priorities of his life, what he thought was the main motivation, he counted it as dung compared to knowing Christ. You understand that? That's the same term. It, 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 It means that when we face the trials of life, we've got to evaluate them in the light of what God is doing. Now think about that. Does your trial immediately start you to evaluate why this happened to you? Or does it, does it cause you to evaluate what's the most important thing in your life? Because I will tell you if, you, if the most important things are the right most important things, those things, even in trials, never change. Right? Because they're valued. One author said it best. He said, and I quote, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials are going to make us mad. If we value the material or the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter and not better. That's why Job had the right idea, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Wait a minute, Job. How, 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 how could you even think that way? First of all, you were a rich man. You were a blessed man. And you were a righteous man. The Bible said that he hated evil and he put it away from him. The Bible talks about his, his sanctification prayer and his desire to see his family grow in grace. His desire to please the Lord. And yet for that, he lost all of his children, lost all of his servants, lost all of his wealth. And yet Job looked at it all and said, he knows what he's doing. 
He knows the path that I'm on. He knows the path that I take. And he said, and when I, when he hath tried me, what's going to happen? I'm going to be as gold. I'm going to have a better life. I may be in the fire right now, but I want you to know, Job rightly said, look, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He evaluated his life, not based on what he lost, but based on what he was going to gain. So when trials come, immediately give thanks to the Lord and adopt the joyful attitude. Outlook, remember, determines outcome. To end with joy means that we have to begin with joy, right? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So number one, we've got to manage our attitude. Number two, we need to manage our knowledge. Our knowledge. Look at verse three. Knowing this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. Now just think about that for a minute. What do Christians really know that makes it easier to face trials? What does a Christian know, apart from someone who's not, that faces a difficulty so that they can benefit from them? Let me give you, let me give you a couple of ideas. First of all, what, what we need to know. Number one, faith is always tested. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, that faith is going to be tested somewhere along the line. I'm going to doubt my salvation. Why? Because faith is always tested. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to doubt whether I'm doing that which is right enough. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to be faced with a decision. And if I'm, if I'm going to make the decision right, I'll make it by faith. But after I make that decision, that faith is going to be tested. Tri- couples go through trials in their marriage and difficulties in their marriage. Why? Because their faith in God, that they've done that which is right, and they want God to bless that family and home, is going to be tested. I'm vowing to you, my love. I'm vowing to you, my loyalty. I'm vowing to you that I want God, that I'm going to raise this child for the glory of God. And as soon as I make that decision by faith, that faith is going to be tested. I'm going to have something come into my life. My kids eventually are going to have someone come into their life that's going to test the faith that their mom, that, uh, that their mom and dad had when we had them. Now, all of that is what we know. Faith is always tested. First Peter four, verse 12. Notice in your notes, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Again, Peter writing to the same people who are scattered says, look, it's not weird when you fall into, into temptations, when you fall into trials. When God called Abraham to live by faith, he tested him in order to increase his faith. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. How's that even going to be possible? I don't have any kids. I'm going to give you a child. And what happened? He said, oh, uh, we don't have a child yet. We don't have a child yet. And they panicked. But his faith was tested. Then after God answered in spite of his unbelief, what did he do? Hey, that boy that I gave you, Lou, that son that I gave you, I want you to go kill him. And I'm going to show you where. And I'm going to show you how. And it was tested. And what happened? When he raised up the knife, God had to shout, Abraham, Abraham! In other words, stop what you're doing. I believe you that you love me more than this son. And that I am your God. Abraham's faith was tested before he could be used in a greater way. God always tests us to bring out the best. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst. The testing of our faith proves that we are truly born again. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Peter, James, John, all of them put their faith in God. And all of them had their faith tested. Let me ask you a question. Has your faith ever been tested? Have you ever decided this is what I'm going to do for God by faith? And the next thing you know, there's an open door saying you don't have to trust God. Or does God really believe that you're going to follow through? Or how can you possibly do this? You and I both know you can't. All of that is a test. Circumstances and trials that we fall into. Listen, it's not a strange thing that God wants to grow us and make us better. Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, but knowing that God wants to make us better, it shouldn't be strange when we go through it. We've got to manage our knowledge. Faith is always tested. Letter B, testing works for us, not against us. The word trying has to do with approval. And again, Peter helps us understand this better. First Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, 
though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at God's approval of our faith is precious. That the trying of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. By the way, I'm so thankful that God put it in terms that we can understand because we really value gold. We really do. We value the physical matters of life in such a greater way. God says, okay, I'm going to put it in perspective. The trial, the trial, not your faith. The trial of your faith is much more precious than gold. You see what I mean? That means that what God wants to do, he wants to do for the better. God's approval of our faith is precious because it assures us that our faith is real. That's what assures us. When you're fallen down and you think that you can't get up, but you get up, what's that mean? Your faith is real. When you keep going, when others have quit, what's that mean? That your faith is real. When you continue to pray, though you don't feel like praying, what does that mean? That your faith is real. But I don't feel it. Doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what you know to be true. Somebody say amen. God says, listen, I want you to understand. I am putting you through this to make you better. Listen to what Paul said about trials working for the believer. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Romans 5 and verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. Now, I want you to think about this just for a minute. Think about the words as I say them slowly, and I want you to think about them in your mind. Patience, experience, and hope. All of those are measures of maturity. Kids can have a tendency to panic. Kids can have a tendency to be impatient. And kids have zero experience in life. Am I right? They're all measures of maturity. Immature people are always impatient. Always. Immature people are always impatient. Mature people are patient and persistent. Impatient people, uh, impatience and unbelief usually go together just as faith and patience do. Impatience and unbelief. The only way the Lord can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials. That's the only way. He's never gonna, we're never gonna develop patience just by reading this book. Not gonna happen. Let, let me, let me take you through a really base level introduction to faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? So I get saved by grace through faith in this book, what the gospel of Jesus Christ says, okay? Now, the only measure of that faith is not in the goodness of God. It's in the trials of this life. Because this book is what gives me my faith. My life is the proving of my faith. Faith without works is dead being alone. So whenever my faith is tested, if I'm actually living by it, it means that God is trying to give me experience. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of experience do you have with God today? What kind of experience do you have with God? Is it a experience of trust or of doubt? Is it an experience of tribulation or peace? Is it an experience of, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day? Or is it, is there a God? Does he care? You see the difference? Our attitude is one thing, and all of it is based on what we know. We've got to manage our attitudes. We've got to manage our knowledge. Thirdly, we have to manage our will, our will. The Bible says in verse three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, verse four, but let patience have her perfect work. I want you to take your pen or your pencil, your highlighter, and I want you to circle or highlight the word let, but let, 
But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, that's talking about the maturity, wanting nothing. I, I don't know if you have the statement in your notes, but if you don't, I want you to write it down. God cannot build our character without our cooperation. He cannot. That's an amazing statement. God cannot build our character without our cooperation. Now, Romans chapter 6 and verse 12 talks about this matter of let, this matter of, of allowing or yielding. Romans 6 and verse 12, let not sin therefore, let not sin therefore. See that? Let not sin therefore. Reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God and those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The very first word in those two verses is let. Why? Because God says, I created you with something very powerful. And it's something completely different from creation. You are not an animal. You are made after my likeness. And I've given you a will. What is that? That's called a choice. Am I letting the knowledge that I have affect my decisions? Or am I not letting those uh, uh, let it affect my decisions? That's a matter of faith. That's where will is exercised. So let's just remember a couple of things when it comes to uh, uh, comes to managing our will. Letter A: God's goal is for our li- uh, goal for our lives is maturity as newborn babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now it would be a tragedy, would it not, if our children remain babies? We would say there's something wrong. We enjoy watching them mature, and even through maturity, bringing dangers as well as delights. My daughter is getting ready to move to Lancaster, California, on purpose. Have you ever been to Lancaster, California? It's awful. Now, when I lived there, because my mindset was a little different, maybe it was because I was an adult, maybe it was just because I was going to college there, it didn't seem that bad. I mean, I, let's be honest. I was moving from Vegas to Lancaster, so there's, you know, I was, in my opinion, I was upgrading, right? But then I came to Morgan Hill, and every year that I would go back and visit Lancaster, the longer I stayed in Morgan Hill, the worse Lancaster got. It's amazing. But as awful as it is, and as scary as it is for me to let my daughter go to college down there, it's still exciting. Do you know why? Because it's an exercise of faith. It's us saying, God, we believe that's where she's supposed to go. We believe that she wants to do what you want her to do. Now, God, we are trusting you. That's a matter of choice. Uh, But watch, in doing that, the even greater part is, I know she's going to grow by it. And I know we're going to grow by it. See, how do you know that? Because I've done it three times already. (laughs) The more times I watch kids leave and I watch the Lord take care of them and I watch the Lord help them. You know what it does to my faith? (sighs) Through the roof. Why? Because I know God loves them more than I do. And they're not good kids because I'm good. They're good because God is good. They want God's blessing on their life. They desire to do that. And that helps me more than anything. That's the goal for their life. That's the goal for all of our kids' life. But guess what? That's the goal for your life. God says, I want you to grow. And in order to do that, I've got to put you through these. Now let me have it. Yield to me. Let me make you better. Let me make you stronger. Let me prepare you. God's goal for our lives is maturity. Letter B, God must work in us before he can work through us. God has to work in us before he can work through us. Would you take your Bibles briefly and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick? Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to take you through this process of God's goal for our lives is maturity, understanding that God cannot develop character without our cooperation, okay? And that's true from actually the moment that we get saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to notice down, if you will, verses 8 and 9, we all know them very well. We could probably all say, most of us could say them very easily. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I want you to notice as you look through this verse, first, the first work is the work that God does for us, which is salvation. Jesus Christ completed this work on the cross. If we trust him, 
will be saved. That's the first work of salvation. The second work of God is what he does in us. The Bible says, notice in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. This work is known as sanctification. Salvation is his work for us. Sanctification is his work in us. God builds our character through this process. And we become more like Jesus Christ, conformed to his image. That's Romans 8, 29. The third work, though, so he works for us in salvation. He works in us in sanctification. Thirdly, his third work is what he does through us. The Bible says that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So let me ask you a question. Has he worked for you by way of salvation? I hope so. I hope that you're genuinely saved. And I don't have to ask if he's working in you for sanctification, but that requires your cooperation. And the same is true for what God wants to do through you. At any time, at any time, I can say no. I can say no to God. I don't need to be saved. The fool, by the way, has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? I can say no to God. I can say yes to God to get saved. And after I get saved and say, God, thank you for working for me, but I got this. No, I don't want you to change me into the image of Jesus Christ. I don't want to grow. I don't want trials. I don't want any part of this life. I don't want to live by faith. I don't want your grace. I don't want your hope. I don't need that. I've got a job for all these things. I don't need any of your pleasures that are at your right hand that are forevermore. I much rather have the pleasures of sin for a season. That's where I'm at right now. And I don't mind. So I can say no to all that. And by saying no to all that, I have already said no to whatever he wants to do through me. I have that decision to make. It is mine to make. I can say no to God at any time. And at that time, when the cooperation stops, so does the character. Somebody, please beg for mercy of God. I want God to grow me. I don't like the means necessarily always. But I sure like the product. I sure want the crown. I just don't want to go through the suffering. God builds character before he calls to service. That means that he must work in you before he can work through you, which means, letter C, God cannot work in us without consent. Consent. One of the banes of my existence as a youth pastor years and years ago was consent forms. Time to go to camp, 65 teenagers go into camp, 65 consent forms. Go through them all, I have 40. (laughs) We're supposed to leave for camp in 15 minutes. Why am I missing 20 consent forms? Why is there no parents standing around to sign any of the consent forms that I don't have? Oh, oh, sorry, I have it. Now 15 produced, now I still have six. Their parents have already gone to lunch. They're at some casino somewhere. And I'm just like, what, what's happening here? Before your kid can go, you need to give consent for them to go. And God says, before I can take you where I want you to go in your Christian life, I need your consent. By the way, Personally, I'm thankful that he needs my consent. Do you know why? Because elsewise, he would be a tyrant. He'd be a spiritual bully. And we would be nothing but robots. There's something to the Christian life called saying yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Now, in reality, all of us could change the words to that song and say, I'll say no, Lord, no, to your will and to your way. Or I've said no, Lord, no, I won't trust you or obey. Pretty different, huh? It's, isn't it different when it's said? Isn't it? It's much, it, it almost sounds crass when we make the words come out of our mouth. But God doesn't need our words because he knoweth all of our hearts. There must be a surrendered will. The mature believer does not argue with God's will. Instead, he accepts it willingly and he obeys it joyfully, doing the will of God, Ephesians 6, 6, from the heart. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look, if, if, look 
It's not if we're going to have problems in 2022. They're coming. You're going to have them this month. You're going to have them this summer. You're going to have them in the fall. They're coming. It's not if, it's when. And if we're going to allow the Lord to use that in our lives to grow us, we've got to consent. We've got to have a right attitude. We've got to trust what we know, that God's not working outside of the bounds of his own word. Lastly, the last thing we have to manage according to this passage is our prayers. Now, this is huge. Now, let's just go back and let's just gain some context again and look at this passage. My brother in verse 2, count it all joy. James 1 and verse 2. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect, let patience have her perfect work. That ye may be perfect, that's mature, and entire, wanting nothing. Now, look at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask him faith, nothing wavering. I want you to remember this in the context of this letter. The people to whom James wrote had problems with their praying. They had problems. They weren't getting their prayers answered. According to the Bible in James 4 is because they were always asking for selfish things. You have not because you ask not. When you ask, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. All they wanted was for the trials to be removed, more money, a bigger house, a faster car. Uh, they wanted more pleasures of life than the character of God. So all of this is not an accident when James is writing. And he says, listen, you've got prayer problems. If I'm going to get you to where I want you to go, you're going to have to learn to pray. You're going to have to fix your prayers. When you're going through God-ordained difficulties, James tells us, letter A, what to ask for. What to ask for. Now, I want you to follow this logic. Why do we need wisdom when we're going through trials? Why not ask for strength? God, give me strength. Why not ask for grace? Why not ask God just to remove the trial? By the way, we've all done that. God, will you take this away. God, will you remove him? God, will you take her away? We've all done that. And God says, no. And man, do we have a problem? We have issues. Why? Because we're asking the wrong thing. We're asking amiss so that we can have our way. And God says, no, you're forgetting what I told you. You're forgetting that when I put a trial in your life, it's to make you better. It's to grow you. What to ask for? For this reason, we need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunities God's giving us to grow. We need wisdom to know how to rightly steward the trial. Wisdom helps us understand how to use circumstances for the glory of God and our benefit. Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs eight eleven. for wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not compared to it. That matches. James says, no, when you fall into diverse temptations, don't ask for more money. When you fall into diverse temptations, don't ask for a different wife. When you fall into diverse temptations, don't ask me to remove it. When you fall into diverse temptations, don't ask for greater faith or greater grace. Ask for wisdom. Why? Because it's better than anything I could possibly give you. I want to give you wisdom. The Bible says, but, uh, notice what it says in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Notice what it says, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given. It's almost like God says, I've got it here, I want to give it to you, just ask. And I'll give you all the wisdom that you need. You can rightly uh, manage this trial, and you'll be better for it, and I'll get all the glory. Just ask. I'm not going to bait you, I'm not going to pull it away, I'm going to give it to you. Proverbs 2 says wisdom comes from the mouth of God. Knowledge, someone said, is the ability to take things apart, while wisdom is the ability to put them together. Wisdom, they said, is the right use of knowledge. James not only explained what to ask for, but he also described, letter B, how to ask. <laughs> the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, in verse 6, but let him ask how? In faith. In faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, because a double-minded man 
is unstable in all of his ways. Someone said the greatest enemy to answered prayer is unbelief. Do I really believe that God can give me wisdom in the midst of a trial so that I can actually walk through this trial by his grace? Could he actually make me a better Christian if I let him do so? The answer to all that is yes, if I believe it myself. You see, my faith in your God does not help you in your trial. It doesn't. My faith in your God does not help you in your trial. Just like your faith in my God does not help me in my trial. But my faith in my God does make all the difference in my trial. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But let him ask in faith. James compares the doubting believer to the waves of the sea up one minute, down the next. That's the experience of a double-minded man. You see, faith says, yes, but unbelief says, nope. Then doubt comes along and says, uh, I'm sorry, then doubt comes along and says, yes, one minute and no, the next minute. They're up and down. It was doubt that made Peter sink in the waves as he was what? Stepping out by faith and he walked. And what happened? That faith was moved and got distracted by everything else going on around him. And what happened to him? He sank. According to the Bible, he sinks in the waves as he was walking to Jesus. Jesus was right before him and he couldn't keep his eyes on Jesus that was right before him. You know what that tells me? It's even harder for us. Because he's not physically standing right outside the boat. Yeah, blessed are those that believe and not see. But man, we sure wish we could like that would make a difference. And yet Peter did and it didn't. Peter saw it and he sank. Many Christians live like corks. Bobbers, fishing bobbers. Up, down, up, down, up, and down. Disappearing with the waves. Tossed back and forth. This kind of experience is evidence of immaturity. Paul used a similar idea in Ephesians 4.14. Listen, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. And carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You see, my profession of faith is closely tied to my prayer of faith. My profession of faith is closely tied to my prayer of faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. It's almost, do you kind of get the idea if you read enough of the Bible that God, God reiterates over and over again, I'm faithful I'm faithful. I'm faithful. You can trust me. I'm faithful. You could trust me. I'm him that is promised and, and all my promises are in him. Amen. And yay. I, 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 I want you to know you can trust me over and over and over again. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted over and over again. He has to remind us of that. Why? Because we're not managing our prayers by faith. It's not based on what we know. It's based on what we feel. It's based on all the other kind of information that's going on. And God says, no, no, no. I've not given you this experience so that you could be less in faith. I've given it so that it would increase your faith. And what I want you to do is let me have it. (laughs) I think one of the greatest things that we can do as Christians, when God puts us in a trial, is to say, Lord, I offer it to you. This is my burnt offering. There's a great man in the Bible. His name is Hezekiah. The Bible says a lot of good things about Hezekiah. Hezekiah, uh, Israel was backslidden, Judah. And Hezekiah, the Bible says that he did a sacrifice to the Lord. And it was greater than the one that Solomon gave when he dedicated the temple. And God honored that. He saw that Hezekiah was a good, good man. And the Bible says at one point, and his faith was tested throughout. At one point, the Bible says that an enemy... Sennacherib had brought up an army and they had encamped against Jerusalem and it was told Hezekiah what was going on and when it happened it's interesting to me that Hezekiah didn't run to his room he didn't assemble generals he took the letter from Sennacherib and the Bible says that he took it to the Lord and the Bible uses this verbiage and he laid it out before the Lord as if the Lord didn't know what the letter said. Isn't that interesting? And he 
told the Lord, this is what the enemy has said. And God said, I know. And it's all good. What did he do? He took that circumstance and he laid it out to God and he let God have it. You know what God did? God defeated the entire army and Hezekiah didn't have to pick up a plowshare. Isn't it interesting? By the way, he was also told that he was going to die. Isaiah said, get your house in order and prepare to meet God. The Bible says that he turned himself toward the wall and he began to weep. And Before Isaiah got out of the house, God said, stop, go back and tell him I'm going to give him some more. <laughs> I'm going to give him some more years. You know what Hezekiah prayed? Hezekiah said, Lord, you know the integrity of my heart. What did God see? God saw what he wants to see in every one of us, a mature heart of belief, not unbelief. He knew he could trust Hezekiah with more years. I wonder how many more years he could trust us with. I wonder how many more trials God could trust us with. The fact of the matter is, remember that God gives us trials carefully measured to complete us or mature us so that he could greater use us. So the Christian who loves God and who knows that God loves him will not fall apart when God permits trials to come. He's letting God have his way. He's secure in God's love and will steward every trial for his maturing good and for God's glory. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, now unto him. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I don't know what trial you're facing. I don't know what trial may come. I, 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 there's no way I could prognosticate all that. But God knows everything that's going to come into your life. And he's going to allow for a specific reason. To be used to better you. Because there's something else that he wants to use you for. Now, I would suggest today that we just say, Lord, I'm coming to you just as I am. And I'm going to let you have your perfect work. Allowing the experience of your faith to be used in a greater way for the glory of God. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I'm so grateful, God, that you are trustworthy. And I'm so grateful, Lord, for the trials. And Lord, I, I confess to you that not every trial that I've gone through in my life have I thanked you for. I've always thanked you for after them, but I rarely have thanked you for them while I was in the midst of them. And yet, God, you remained faithful in spite of my lack of faith. And God, more than likely, that's the, that's the same for everyone in this room. So we offer ourselves to you today, God. We want to ask you for your help. We want to ask for your forgiveness where we've doubted you. We want to ask where we have not let you have your perfect work in us. Where we have not worked out our salvation with the fear of God in our heart. Lord, I think that every Christian here wants to be used at some measure. But I'm not sure that every Christian wants to be used to the measure that you have for us. And yet, God, what you have is just that, that you would have your way, that people would be saved, that homes would be strengthened, that our trust and our courage would be based on who you are, not what we are. And so today, God, I just pray that you'd work. I pray your Holy Spirit would have your way. I pray that you'd bless our prayer time now in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano plays, I just wonder this morning, I wonder how you are with your God and your, your stewardship of trials. How have you handled those? Now look, I'm standing here as a guy who has mishandled my share of trials. I've mishandled my share of grace. I've mishandled my share of knowledge, my attitude, all of it. I in no way, shape, or form am a perfect Christian. But even in failure, I've never given up. And I don't want to give up. That, that is truly failure, is giving up. Instead, what I want to do is whenever God, whenever God presents a trial to me, I want to be a faithful steward. 
And I wonder if that's you this morning. I wonder if you would say, Pastor, by my uplifted hand, by God helping me today, I want to rightly steward the trials in my life, even though you may not be in one right now. You may be coming out of one. But whatever comes your way in in the coming weeks, in the coming year, maybe you'd say, Pastor, I want to be a faithful steward of the trials God gives me. I want to be a maturing Christian. I want to have that godly character because of what he's doing in me or wants to do in me. Will you pray for me that way? If that's your prayer this morning, would you just lift up your hand? Anybody like that? Let me just see him. I just want to pray for you. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to st- I want us to stand in just a moment, and I want us to pray. And when we do, I wonder if you would like to find a place here at the altar or right there where you are just to kneel for a moment and just to speak to the Lord along the line of the trials of life. Maybe you're like me and you could look back in the recent months and say, God, I failed you. In that trial, my attitude wasn't right. And I need to confess that. Lord, I, I forgot what you're trying to do in giving me a trial and I confess to you that I wasn't thinking right. My knowledge wasn't being managed. Maybe you'd confess like me. I do this all the time. God, my prayer was not right. Or it wasn't at all. And I need your forgiveness. Today, I want to help. I want your help. I want to steward the trials in my life for the glory of God. In a moment when we stand, if that's your heart and prayer, I hope that you find a place today and I hope that we can do business with God. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I give this time to you now. These brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, many of them have raised their hands. And Lord, I, I think I can speak for all of us. We want to be good stewards of the trials of life, the difficulties that you put us through. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us in that, that way. I pray that today you would minister to hearts and lives as we open up ourselves to you, God, and we agree with what you already see. As you bring it to light, I pray that we would confess any sin. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way with us. I pray that you would grow us. I pray that we would be sensitive now to trials as they come, whether they be little or whether they be great. Lord, there's all kinds. It's diverse kinds. It's multicolored, but they're all designed to grow us and give us experience with our God. Would you please help us during this time in Jesus' name? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to open up the invitation. You may want to come to pray this morning. You may want to pray there. Whatever God does in your life this morning, I want you to just trust Him and obey. Go just as you are.